Today we're going to be in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. Today we're going to be talking about being fruitful in praise, being fruitful in praise. We're studying our, our, our study, God's fruit produced in our lives, and so far we've talked about uh, two different types of fruit. And so we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and what God is developing in our life, that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and uh, patience, all of those. And then uh, we also, last week, looked, about, looked at the uh, fruit of righteousness. And so, um, without answering, what is the fruit of righteousness? Could you answer what the fruit of righteousness is? Again, um, we are given God's righteousness through Jesus Christ, but God is producing in us and really kind of the inside out, changing us from the inside out uh, so that we might be uh, better imitators of Jesus Christ. And so uh, this uh, fruit, of the, fruit of righteousness is not one, one own, uh, personal righteousness. Oh, I guess we don't have a... Um, It's not uh, personal righteousness, um, really it's God's righteousness being lived through us, and so uh, God is changing us from the inside out. But today we're going to look at something um, a little bit uh, uh, different when you think about these, these topics, uh, because today we're really going to be looking at the fruit of lips, at least uh, that's what it says in Hebrews, that's what we're going to look at fruit of lips, and that is really kind of the fruit of praise, and that's why we've entitled this message, Be Fruitful in Praise. So uh, today as we opened up um, uh, the service, uh, we looked at some verses that had to do with praise uh, at the end of the service, or, well, I'm sorry, we've, we've sung uh, different songs in praise to God, and we'll be concluding our service uh, with something that's not actually on your bulletin, uh, but we're going to be singing hymn number 23 at the very end, which is worthy of praise, because truly, our Lord is worthy of praise. And so we're going to be looking at that, um, that fruit of lips, and so uh, Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verse 15 to get us started, and I'll ask you to stand out of respect for God's Word, and we're just going to read this first verse here. And then we'll pray, and then you can be seated uh, here in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 15. It says this, Through Him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledges His name. Let's stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank You for allowing us to meet together. Thank you for the freedoms uh, that we have in this country, that we don't have to be afraid of, of gathering uh, for worship. Lord, we can, we can worship freely. Thank you that we have an opportunity through your Son uh, to be able to pray to you. Lord, truly we have much to be thankful for, not only as Americans, but much more because we are Christians, because of what you have done for us. Lord, truly you are worthy of our praise. Lord, I do pray that as we continue the service today that you would be glorified, that the things that are spoken from this pulpit would be fruit of 
the lips, that they would be things that would bring you glory, that, that you would use your word in our hearts so that you may increase and that we may decrease. May you and your majesty and your glory continue to grow in our hearts and in our minds as we once again open up your word. And so, Lord, we pray again you would meet with us. May you be honored. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. As in other weeks, um, our topic today is, is very important. When, when we think about uh, fruit in our life, and we've already talked about the idea that fruit in our life brings God glory. And again today, as we think about this fruit of lips, this is something that again God takes seriously and can either give Him glory or can really bring pain and suffering upon our lives. And, and so, to start off, what we want to do is we want to go to Deuteronomy, all right? So, go back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the beginning, mean, yeah, at the beginning of the Old Testament, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, flip back in, in, in the Word of God to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm building a case for the fact that our lips are important to the Lord, and our praise is important to the Lord. It shouldn't be something that we take flippantly, not something that we say, you know what, today I feel like worshiping the Lord, and, and, and today I don't. It, it shouldn't be something that we really make a mental decision of whether or not I feel like I'm in the mood of worshiping the Lord, but instead it really should be something that is part of our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to open up with Deuteronomy because Moses communicates something that is true here and that we shouldn't overlook. And so notice here in verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so Moses is first pointing out that we don't worship all these other gods because remember at that time there were lots of people that worshipped different gods. Different nations worshipped different gods. And, and Moses wanted to communicate that there is one God and that God is the God that we ought to worship. And so as he continues, he says this in the very next verse. You shall love the Lord, that is Yahweh, that is the God of Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, we often call this the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. It's not really one of the Ten Commandments, although there is kind of this idea in the Ten Commandments. This is the greatest commandment because really, if we're putting God in the right place in our life, everything else will follow behind that. And so we put God as first in our life. We love the Lord, our God, with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our might. But then Moses, what he does is, is he gives them a warning, and it's the same warning that we have, and it's the same temptation that we have. And so look down at verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, and it says this, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, this is Canaan, this is a promised land, your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to you with great and good cities that you did not build. The house is full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards that you did not plant, and when you eat are full, and take care lest you forget the Lord 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so Moses is, is communicating to the people, and he says, you know what, this is going to be a temptation. We're going to enter the promised land, and you know what, we used to be slaves. Other people used to benefit from us. But now we're actually going to be benefiting from other people. They've done all these things, we're going to go and inherit those things. And God has freed us, but this is a temptation. When life is going well, we might be tempted to forget God. And this is really important. This is really important to, to Israel. It should be really important to us. When we start to get comfortable, it's easy to kind of put our, our navigation, our, our driving system into like cruise control. We start going through life in cruise control, and, and uh, we have the adaptive cruise control. We slow down when we need to slow down. We speed up when we need to speed up, and, and everything seems to be, and if you drive a Tesla, then it even keeps you within the lines. And I mean, that's sometimes how we begin to live our Christian life. Things are going well, and really as Americans, things are going well. I mean, we can point to many things that are not going well, but when we compare really our life and our freedoms here in this country with many other countries. Many other people around the world would love to be in our position. And so we have a lot of blessing from the Lord. And, and so we kind of are in this position that Israel was at where we have been given a lot and there is that temptation that we forget the Lord. We get busy in life with hobbies and, and work and career and, and family and friends. And, and then sometimes God takes second place. And so Moses was reminding the people, no, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, and he says, beware, beware, I'm warning you, don't forget the God that freed you from, from Egypt. But then he goes on to say this, and, and really he stresses this because it's not just a warning now, but really he is communicating a command here. And he says this, you shall not go after other gods. The gods of the people who are around you. And again, we talked about that, that there were gods, other gods that were being worshipped in other nations. And then Moses says this, For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And so what is Moses saying? He says, you know, this is going to be the temptation he says, you know what, people of Israel, this is going to be the temptation. You're going to go in and things are going to be going really well. And the temptation is going to be to forget God. And then it's going to look at these other gods. And then the temptation will be to follow those other gods and worship those other gods. And of course, when people worship, worship starts with the heart and comes out through the mouth. We worshiped this morning when we opened up our hymnal and we sang, we worship the Lord starting in our hearts and coming out of our mouth. And this is exactly what other people were, the temptation and the warning was, is that, no, we only worship God. There's going to be the, uh, these other gods, little g other gods, there's going to be these other gods in other lands, but we don't worship those. Why? Because the God we worship is a jealous God. Now, oftentimes when we think about jealousy, we think that's like something bad. And it is bad for us to have uh, jealousy or to lust after things. 
But, but for God, when we talk about jealousy, it's because He should be the one that is worshipped. He should be the one that is honored. He should be the one that is glorified. It would be like if Mother's Day is next week, and can you imagine if, if you were a mother and you have done so much for your family and your kids all wrote a card to your husband. Thank you, Dad, for all that you do on this Mother's Day. Can you imagine how, how you would feel? You would be jealous in that way because you have done so much, and God has truly done so much for us. And so the temptation would be to turn and worship other gods. And, and so we're told here by Moses that really our mouth can affect our relationship with God. Our mouth can either bring God's blessings or our mouth can take us to dangerous places and really bring about God's judgment, especially here as, as we think about Israel. But what does the New Testament say about this topic? Well, James talks about a lot about the mouth and, and the tongue and, and our words. And so we're just going to look at just a couple of verses this morning. But notice here in verse 10, with it, that is with your mouth or with your tongue or with your speech, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we per curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My brother, these things ought not to be so, James says. And so we are to worship the Lord alone and as we interact with others, we make sure that our tongues are right, our speech is right. And why? Because ultimately that too brings God glory. And so I can say pretty confidently, it is clear in Scripture that our lips can bring God's blessing or it can cause pain and suffering in our lives and the lives around us. Moses taught our lips can affect our relationship with God James taught us that our lips can affect our relationships with one another. And this is why the topic of the fruit of lips is so important. It's not something that God takes lightly. It's not something that we should take lightly. And so what we want to do with the remainder of our time is we want to look at four, four reasons or four ways that should really move us to worship the Lord. Four ways that should move us to praise the Lord with our lips. And that very first thing, we should praise the Lord for He is Creator. Praise the Lord for He is Creator. And, and really, we're going to spend a lot of our time in the book of Psalm. So the book of Psalm is full of praising the Lord, and really everything that we need and, and more is found in the book of Psalm. And so we're going to look at some other verses outside of Psalm, but uh, for many of the points here, we're going to start with Psalm. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 148. Psalm 148, Psalm is in the middle of your Bible. It's one of the biggest books in your Bible. And so Psalm 148, so you're getting kind of towards the back of Psalms there. And so notice here what it says in Psalm 148. And starting in verse 1, this is what it says. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the highest. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And so as the psalmist kind of stops and he thinks, thinks about why we ought to praise the Lord, he starts with the things that are above this world. So he's not, he hasn't even gotten to the things upon this world yet. He's simply talking about the things that are above this world. And so we see in verse 2, praise Him, and then he says, angels and hosts. And then verse 3, praise Him, sun and moon and shining stars. And then in verse 4, praise Him, the heights of heaven. That would be the, the atmosphere where the clouds are. And then he actually goes on to say, and the waters above the heavens. That is the clouds, that is the rain. He says, all of these things up there should praise the Lord. And then he gives us the reason why. In verse 5, let them praise the Lord, or let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were what? Created. And so praise the Lord. We're talking about everything that doesn't reside on this earth, but instead as we look up into the sky, let those things praise the Lord. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He puts his view on the earth. And the other verses that, that uh, continue on talk about the earth and how the earth should praise the Lord and, and the creatures should praise the Lord and, and the man should praise the Lord. And so we're not going to look at all of those verses because um, we don't have time today. But notice here in verse 11, I do want to point this out. It says this, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. So the psalmist says, you know what, it, it doesn't matter if you're a king or a prince, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old, let all praise Him. Let Him be exalted. Let Him be glorified. Paul says this as he thinks about creation, for his invisible, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And really, as we look out at creation, these things point to the Lord. These things should move us to worship the Lord. When we're relaxing on the beach, enjoying the waves rolling in, and we're watching the sun set behind the ocean... That should move in our hearts an attitude of praise as we're hiking through the mountains and we come up over that hill and, and we just see that, that beautiful side of the valley and the mountains and the trees and, and we just go, wow. That should move us to bring glory to God, to praise Him. At night, as, as we're walking out and we look up 
and we look up at the stars and we go, we can't number those stars and scientists can't even number those stars because when they look up at the stars, they realize there's even more stars than they can see. And we remember to ourselves, God created all of that, even the stars we can't see. And that should move us to praise Him. Why? Because He is Creator. He is the giver of life. And so Christians, in our hearts, we ought to praise Him as we sit on the beach, as we go on hikes, as we look up into the sky, but also as just as we interact with one another, realizing that truly we are created in the image of God that we are God's image bearers, that we are His creation as well. And so not only should creation praise God, but we also praise God. And, and I know the secular world would like us to believe that this is all by accident. That you know what, you're just an accident in this world, and it just happened to be that uh, mankind is, is here, and, and we don't know why, and, and I guess if we just rolled the dice a number of times that here we have these complex people in this world. God, I would say those secular people are wrong because the Bible says God created mankind. God created everything that we see and really that, that should motivate us to give praise back to the Lord. I mean, even as you think about how complex our bodies are and how our bodies, different things in our bodies have to work together for life to happen. We are so complex. And, and I remember that uh, when, they, when they first, and I forget the, the guys' names, you guys uh, probably know them, but those two guys at first um, found DNA and and. They were so excited, and they went into the pub that night, and they said, we have done it. Now we know how life is created. We have found the building blocks of life. But then as they began to study DNA, they said, wow, this is complex. How could this have happened by accident? And so we truly are a creation created by a creator, and that should move our hearts to worship Him, to bring Him glory. But He is not only a God who started creation, because He didn't step back and He doesn't let creation just run down. Instead, He is a God who loves His creation. So this is the second thing that should move us to praising the Lord. We serve a God who loves his creation. He loves me, but he doesn't just love me. He loves the sparrows. He loves the birds. He loves the possums. He loves my flowers and the bees that land on them. The God who loves his creation. Go ahead and flip over to Psalm 117. So that would be Psalm 117, not 117, sorry. Psalm 117. Psalm 117. This is probably one of the shortest psalms, um, I believe. It's just two verses. But you know, this is, this is a really great psalm, Psalm 117. 
This two-verse psalm is, is so wonderful. And so notice here, that very first verse, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol His name, all peoples. And, and i got to point this out. What, what are we talking about here? What is the psalmist saying when he says, Praise the Lord, and who is he talking about? He says, All nations. And what is all nations? That is all nations outside of Israel and Israel included. All right? So this is not just Israel, praise the Lord. Uh, This is all nations, Israel and all nations outside of Israel, praise the Lord. And then he goes on to say, extol, another version says, glorify. And so all people, that's the second idea of those who praise the Lord all people. And what is all people? That is all ethnic groups, including Israel. That is Israel and all ethnic groups. That is all people. So we have two different ideas of who praises God. All nations, Israel and outside of Israel, and all ethnic groups, Israel and ethnic groups outside of Israel. And so who is to praise the Lord? Who should praise the Lord? Well, that is everyone from one side of the globe all the way to the other side of the globe, and you keep going until you get back to where you start, and you go the other way as well, that all should praise the Lord. And then notice what he says, and he gives us the reason. Notice here in verse 2, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So he says, all people, all nations. And why? Because of his steadfast love towards us. Because of his faithfulness. And that idea of steadfast love, that idea of faithful love, is the idea of loyal love. Yesterday, our our family... I was out looking at uh, Mother's Day cards because Mother's Day is, is uh, next week and, and uh, we have some family that is uh, spread out all over the place so we need to make sure to drop those in the mail early so we went and picked up our cards. And you know one of the things that I noticed as I was reading through those Mother's Day cards trying to find one uh, for my mom, one for my wife, I, I noticed that there was a reoccurring theme in many of the Mother's Day cards and you've probably seen it as well. It goes something like this. Thank you, Mom, for believing in me. Thank you, Mom, for helping me. Thank you, Mom, for loving me even when I was not lovable. I see that theme throughout. And you know, if the secular world can take time to really praise their moms, and I'm not trying to lower moms What I'm trying to do instead is exalt God. If we can take time to say, Mom, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your love for me. How much more as Christians we ought to praise God for all that he does for us. Not just one day a week, but really every day. Our lives should be a hallelujah to the Lord. Our lives really are designed for his glory. And so, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and faithfulness to the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We truly do have so much to be thankful for. And what has God in his love done for us? Well, of course, he gave us 
uh, his son. And so John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Truly, we were condemned without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save mankind. Again, why? Because God loves his creation. God desired a relationship with his creation. All right? He wasn't a God who simply created things and he just lets it kind of spin out of control. Instead, he's a God who loves his creation and he plays a part in, his, in, in our lives and in creation's life. And so we praise the Lord for He is Creator. We praise the Lord because He loves His creation. Number three, we praise the Lord because He provides for us. So, of course, uh, one of the main things that we think about is the fact that He provided eternal life. And that is really important. That is something that we should praise Him for. But He hasn't only provided eternal life. He's also provided just simply food for His creation. And so at the creation account here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, it says this, Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. Who was the food good for? Adam and Eve, mankind, and it was good for the animals as well. And so when God created life in this world, in this world he created trees that were good for Adam and Eve and, and good for his creation that they might feed them. And then it goes on to say, for the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we're familiar with that. that there was a tree placed in the garden that really gave you the knowledge of good and evil through experience because it was a choice to choose your own way instead of God's way. And so that's when the, when the fall happened. But that's not our focus. Our focus is this idea that God provided for his creation. Now imagine with me today, imagine with me today that all of the plants, all of the vegetables, all of the fruits and all of the berries, they just all dry up and the world becomes a big dust ball. How long could life survive without God's plants. Not very long. It could not live very long at all if we had no fruits and vegetables or berries or even plants in this world. God has given us what we need and really he has provided that for us. This is what Leviticus says. And this is Leviticus 19 uh, verse 23 and it says this, when you come into the land, plant any kind of uh, and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard it um, regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you; it must not be eaten. And on the fourth year, all the fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. And on the fifth year, you may eat of the fruit and increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. And so this was kind of the, the command there. When you go into the land and you begin to plant trees, when you begin to plant things that are going to reap uh, product, fruit, vegetables, I guess vegetables don't grow on trees, but fruit, you know what? You, you should allow that tree to really establish itself. For the first three years, 
don't eat of the fruit. Allow it to establish itself. On the fourth year, I want you to take that fruit and I want you to give it back to the Lord. And why? Because when you give it back to the Lord, you're recognizing that God is the one who has given it to you. And on year five, then you may eat. And really, when we stop and and we think about food in this world, we ought to recognize that what we have today is truly from the Lord. If the earth was a dust ball, we would all starve to death. The world would starve to death. But God has given us what we need, and, and I know that we, we go out, and there's a part that we play. God told Adam and Eve to go and work, uh, work the garden, and, and we that have fruit trees and we that have gardens, we know what it means to go work the garden, so you, you water, especially here in California, you water, maybe you, you till the soil, you put some nutrients in there, you pull those weeds, which is part of the curse there. You, you make sure to put it in a sunny place, but not too sunny, because here in California, too much sun will kill your stuff. So you put it in just the right place. And we do all that we can so that our trees bear fruit and our vegetables bear, our garden bears vegetables, not our vegetables bear vegetables, but our garden bears vegetables. But you know, how much control do we have I don't have any control over whether or not my trees produce fruit. I can water them, and I can fertilize them, and I can plant them in the right spot, but I have no control over how much those trees produce. But God does. And God gives to us. And we ought to be thankful for what we have. And so God provides for His creation And so, not only does God provide for His creation, but He also blesses His children. And again, we were talking about that idea of a loyal love. God is loyal to His children. So, notice here in James, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so really all that we have comes from the Lord. Someone said this, it's, it's not happiness that brings gratitude, it's gratitude that brings us happiness. Are we truly thankful for what we have? Do we really see the things that we have as given by God? An attitude of gratitude says, everything good in my life is from the Lord. Not everything good in my life is because I'm a good person, but instead everything good in my life is because I serve a good God. Maybe as Christians we say things like this, even when life has its challenges, I know God has a purpose. Even when life has its challenges, I know God is with me. Even when life has its challenges, I know God is protecting me. And this is the truth. Satan would love to take us as individuals and shake us so violently in our lives that we lose our faith. But he cannot because we are held by the Lord. And so, 
God has given us many blessings, and even during challenges, we can find blessings within those challenges. Matter of fact, this is what Paul said. He said, three times I pleaded to the Lord about this. And he's talking about this thorn in the flesh, this thing that was uh, really not allowing him to be in, as accessible in his eyes that he thought. Some people think that maybe it was his eyes. Maybe he couldn't see very well. And there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that he couldn't see very well. And so maybe that's what he was praying about. But notice again in verse 8, three times I pleaded to the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, that is the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness and insult and hardships and persecutions and calamity, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The thing that points, the thing that sticks out to me about what Paul just said here is he says, I am content. I'm content in all of these circumstances, and why? Because I realize I serve a good God who is in control. I realize I serve a God that is with me. I serve a God who has a purpose. Even though I might be weak, in Christ I am strong. And so truly, we have been given a lot by the Lord. Praise the Lord, He is creator. Praise the Lord, He is he loves His creation. Praise the Lord. He provides for His creation. And the last thing that we're going to look at today, praise the Lord, He is King. Praise the Lord, He is King. Go ahead and flip over to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. This is the last psalm that we're going to look at this morning, and we are almost done. Psalm 136, starting in verse 1, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord, I'm sorry, give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. And notice what the psalmist says, give thanks to the God of gods, and we see that one of them is uppercase and one of them is lowercase. That represents that one is the God of Israel and the other is is other deities out in the world. And, and that's exactly what the psalmist in, in the Hebrew says. It says, um, the, let's see here. Thanks to the deity, the God of Israel, who is the God of gods, the deity of deities, for his steadfast love endures forever. This, what, what, what the psalmist is saying here is God has power over the heavenly realm, over the unseen realm. Those things that we don't see in this world because they're outside of this world, God is the God of all of that. He's the God of God. Gods. He's at the very top. But the psalmist doesn't stop there by saying he's the God of everything outside this world. He goes on to say this in verse 3, Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, this is the idea of master, lord, king, and so he is above all other earthly kings. And so the psalmist gives us two ideas here. 
that he is the God of the heavenly realm. He's the God of gods. But then he goes to the earth and says, he is the king of kings. He's the king of the earthly realm. So this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we ought to praise with our lips because he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. The psalmist goes on to say this. Notice here in verse 17. For to him who struck down great kings, for his love endures forever, and killed, notice, mighty kings, for his love endures forever. Not even mighty kings can go against God. God is more mighty and more powerful than any mighty king in this world. Because he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. And so what should our response be to these truths? What should our response be to the fact that we praise a God who has created all? We, we uh, praise a God who is loving and cares for his creation. We praise a God who provides for his creation. We praise a God who is not only... God, but he is the God of gods. He is not only king, but he is the king of kings. Well, that brings us all the way back to what we started our service with today. Psalms 134, 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually, uh, be continu- uh, shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That is the fruit of lips, the fruit of praise. We shouldn't take it lightly because God is worthy of our praise. He is creator, He cares. He provides, and He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. May we have the fruit of praise upon our lips because He is our God and our King. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, as we stop this morning, we think of this idea of of the lips and the mouth and the tongue and our words. And really, we've just focused on really one aspect of our mouth this morning, which is praise. Lord, we might be tempted to praise other things in this world. We might be tempted to praise some type of government official. Uh, We might be tempted to uh, praise uh, our, our job. We might be tempted to uh, to praise family, and, and Lord, those, those might have opportunities of praise, but Lord, we should never worship those things. Those never take priority in our life. You are the king of this world. You are what has created us. The fact that we are gathered today means that you are alive and that you care for your creation. The fact that we came this morning Many of us with a full stomach because you care for us. You have blessed us in so many ways. 
But in the most important way, Lord, you've given us your son. Even though salvation is free to us, it wasn't free to you because you gave up your precious son to die in our place. And so, Lord, maybe there's someone here that they've never began praising you from their heart because they've never actually asked you to be their Lord and Savior. Maybe they've never put their faith and trust in you. And so, Lord, I pray that they would do that, that you would open up their eyes to the gospel, the reason why you came, the reason why you died, the reason why you came back to life, so that we could have hope of eternal life, so that we could have a promise of eternal life. And Lord, for the rest of us that are Christians, as we have a time of communion, may our hearts be full of thanksgiving and praise to you. As we go into Monday and we go into our different jobs, we pray that we would see your hands upon our lives and upon your creation. Or as we fellowship with one another, may we see your love and what you're doing in our lives and the lives of others. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. May we give you the right and correct position, the exalted position in our lives. For you are the God of gods. You are the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name.